You are listening to the Living Truth Podcast with John Corr and C.L. Mitchell. Please stay tuned to Living Truth as we engage in an in-depth journey of discovery through the discussion of God's Word for the purpose of devotion and godly living. We pray that you would be blessed through today's conversation and that God would sanctify your heart in truth, for His Word is truth. Good afternoon. This is John Corr and the Reverend C.L. Mitchell coming to you from Phoenix, Arizona. This is Living Truth. We're so glad that you are tuning in. Uh, If this is your first time listening, we are two friends that love to get together, uh, usually with a cup of coffee or some tea, and talk about the scriptures. We love to dig in deeply, but we also like to have fun and uh, dialogue about the Word of God and the nature of God. And we have been going through the uh, prophet Jonah, the book of Jonah, and uh, we are going to be continuing today. Now, this is the first time we've uh, gotten together, CL, to record in in some time, in several months, actually. And uh, we've had a little bit of a break. We've had uh, a lot of things on our schedule, but we're excited to be back. And just uh, just want to say that, first of all, we're very thankful for uh, all of our listeners around the world. Uh, very appreciative for you, and uh, uh, even though we don't get to see your face, we do imagine that you're sitting with us overhearing our conversation, and we have been praying that uh, God would richly bless you, and we pray that He would bless you today and would speak to you. And uh, before we get started, CL, I just want to, of course, say hi to my friend. How you doing? I am well. You doing well? Yes, I am well, and it's so good to be sitting here with you again. Yes. And and uh, having our devotional time, and, and, and this is what I pray. John, we don't do this for um, publicity. No. We do this um, in privacy for intimacy with God and fellowship with one another. However, our prayer is that our private time before God and with each other would spill over into a fruitful time in the hearts of others where they would be informed by God's truth, transformed by his truth, and brought into their own personal intimacy with the God of the Bible. Amen. Amen. Through his son, Jesus Christ. And and I pray that that's happening all over the globe. And and we want you to know that we we really take personally um, our interaction with you. And whilst we are sitting here with something to uh, wet our uh, uh, tongues, <laughs> if you will, um, uh, we hope that you have made this a regular time where you're either having coffee or, or tea or water or, or some sort of beverage. Or hot chocolate. And, and yes, as, as I am oft known to do and am doing today, Yes, in fact. Because it's hot outside, so you need hot chocolate. I know, right? But, you know, I have to be complicated. That's so, right. So I, I really do pray that this is a blessing to you. And by the way, we love to hear from you. Yes. Those of you who have emailed us, those of you who have asked us to record on certain things, those of you who are all over the globe, locally or afar, and have uh, let us know either in person or, or via email or contact in some manner that God is making a difference in your heart through yes. this uh, broadcast, we are so grateful for yes. you and do not take you for granted and and pray that the Lord will continue to uh, uh, to show abundantly his kindness through us uh, toward you amen amen well let's get to it we're gonna talk about the book of Jonah and we're actually gonna focus on one verse and it's chapter 1 verse 17 but um, I'd like to get a little head start maybe just to read the text again uh, just to get uh, you know get the juices flowing, so to speak. Um, I'm going to start with verse 1. 
Wonderful. Okay. Uh, Jonah chapter 1, verse 1, it says, The word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and cry, cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. So he went down to Joppa, found a ship that was going to Tarshish, paid the fare, and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Then the, the Lord hurled a great wind on the sea, and there was a great storm on the sea, so that the ship was about to break up. Then the sailors became afraid, and every man cried to his God, and they threw the cargo which was in the ship to lighten, uh, into the sea to lighten it for, uh, for them. But Jonah had gone below into the hold of the ship, laying down and fallen sound asleep. So the captain approached him and said, How is it that you are sleeping? Get up, call on your God. Perhaps your God will be concerned about us so that we will not perish. And each man said to his mate, Come, let us cast lots so that we may learn on whose account this calamity has struck us. So they, they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. And they said to him, Tell us now, on, on whose account has the calamity struck us? What is your occupation, and where do you come from, and what is your country? From what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men became extremely frightened, and they said to him, How could you do this? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord, because he had told them. So they said to him, What should we do to you that the sea may become calm for us? For the sea was becoming increasingly stormy. And he said, Pick me up and throw me into the sea, then the sea will become calm for you, for I know that on account of me this great storm has come upon you. However, the men rowed desperately to return to land, but they could not, for the sea was becoming even stormier against them. Then they called on the Lord and said, We earnestly pray, O Lord, do not let us perish on account of this man's life, and do not put innocent blood on us, for you, O Lord, have done as you pleased. So they picked up Jonah, threw him into the sea, and the sea stopped its raging. Then the men feared the Lord greatly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And here's the verse. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the stomach of the fish three days and three nights. Now that ends chapter one. Um, the next chapter, chapter two, I don't know if we'll get that there today. Let me just read it just to give context. Chapter two begins this way. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the stomach of the fish, and he said, I called out of my distress to the Lord, and he answered me. I cried for help from the depth of Sheol, and you heard my voice. For you had, had cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the current engulfed me. All your breakers and billows passed over me. So I said, I have been expelled from your sight. Nevertheless, I will look again toward your holy, holy temple." Water encompassed me to the point of death. The great deep engulfed me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. I descended to the roots of the mountains. The earth with its bars was around me forever. But you have brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. While I was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. 
those who regard vain idols forsake their faithfulness, their faithfulness, but I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving to which that which I have vowed I will pay. Salvation is from the Lord. And verse 10 is the end of chapter 2. It says, Then the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited up Jonah up onto the dry land. Now, obviously, the, the text begins and ends with the fish. It begins in verse 17, the fish coming and swallowing Jonah, and it ends with now the fish vomiting Jonah up onto the dry land. In between that are three days and three nights in the belly of this fish, in the stomach of this fish, and Jonah prays. Before we get to the prayer and the contents of the prayer, let's talk about the end of chapter 1 where it says, The Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah, and he was in that fish three days and three nights. End of the chapter. Bam. Wow, what a, what a cliffhanger. What a way, if you had a movie and you, want, and you wanted to end a movie with a cliffhanger, there's your cliffhanger right there. Because then this, from, from one perspective, the story's over. Jonah's done with. Yes, if this were if this were a musical piece, yes. it would be on an ominous tune that would be introduced uh, on the scene. Yes, and it would be very low, very bass, yes. very dark. Les Miserables, or something. <laughs> yes, <laughs> or yes. Phantom. <laughs> because there is a great deal of drama that is introduced in this verse. Now, mind you, this verse is on the back of a concept. And that is in um, chapter number one, we have seen one divine act, one major divine act from God. And that is God uh, hurling or appointing a storm for the prophet um, uh, in order to chastise him. This is the second divine act right. of a chastising or disciplinary nature. Right. Unfortunately, the obstinate prophet has acted in such a way that the action of God toward him thus far has seemingly of necessity had to be negative. You know, it's, it's funny, as, as we're standing here from the outside, the reader perspective, we see it says, the commentary of the writer says, and the Lord, through this great storm their way, probably a hurricane or something, and the Lord appointed or ordained this fish to come his way at the right time. And later, it's going to be the Lord who, who um, issues a, a worm and a plant to grow and a worm to, to kill the plant later on. And you see this from our perspective. We, have the, we see the God, God's actions and we're doing what he's doing. And we know that Jonah knows that this storm is because of him. We, he, he knows that perhaps the, the sea will become calm. He knows he's the cause of this. I, I'm wondering... We don't always in life have the perspective that we are looking at right now, like the outside perspective. And we don't always recognize the Lord's appointment, so to speak, and the Lord bringing certain people or situations into our lives to direct us a certain way. And so I'm wondering, like, it's one thing to have the prophet who knows the voice of the Lord, who knows the, the ways of God, and yet he's choosing to go the opposite way. It's another when you have somebody who maybe doesn't interpret life's events through that same lens, you know, where God's in control of the seemingly um, normal things in life and to interpret things that way. Does that make sense? Absolutely. God oft uses problems, trials, 
circumstances right. of an arduous nature right. to carve out our ears. But, but, but I mean, come on, you and I would, I would want a voice from heaven. Jonah or John, you know, <laughs> you know, the, the, the voices for that we're looking for don't always happen. So we sort of like have to interpret the events of life and figure out. Now, obviously, in this context, Jonah knows what he's doing, and he knows he's suppressing the voice of God. It's like, it, there's a reason why he has gone from the heights topographically down to the, the, to the lowest points, all the while, you know, sort of plugging his ear saying, you know, don't talk to me, don't talk to me. And he's sort of re- withdrawn himself from people and from, you know, he's kind of gone to his little hole and his little shell and he wants to be by himself. He knows he's suppressing the voice of God. But then you have the situation where people really aren't, they, they want to hear the voice of God and they want to understand, you know, life and how God directs. And so maybe we can speak about that because the appointment of this great fish, you know, is from the Lord, from our perspective. But when Jonah's and the, when the, when the, when the, uh, the sailors are on the boat and they see Jonah go into the water and then he's gone, and perhaps they see the fish come up and swallow him or perhaps they just see him going out. We don't know. How are they interpreted? Are they saying, well, this is a punishment of their God? Or, you know, I guess my question is, how do you interpret the, the appointments of God when he uses normal things, when he uses regular creatures and circumstances? You know, how do you... Yeah, I think there are several ways to approach this question. Um, number one, uh, the text has an abnormality to it. Um, it frankly seems that the pagans in the narrative are far more insightful than the prophet. Yeah. Um, and, and frankly, uh, for that matter, uh, many other things, but we'll talk about that in the future. Um, I, what I see in the narrative is God is not making Jonah go through guesswork. He's right. making it very clear right. that he's not happy with his actions. And, and I, with that, then, I want to argue that when God is disciplining someone or seeking to um, realign their lives with him, his spirit, through conviction, right. makes it very clear. He's not just, um, even though he employs what can be very normal circumstances and make them abnormal in their employment or right. in their utility, still, it is not as though God is cloaking them saying, guess what's going on? Right. Guess what's wrong? I'm not going to tell you, ha, 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 it's kind of the hidden secret and you'll have to figure it out. Kind of like the the pagan gods gave cryptic messages right. and, and harbingers to their individuals supposedly that they were angry at, right? This is not God. God wants to make it very clear to his people by the conviction of his spirit in consistency with the biblical text, I'm not pleased with this. He wants to right. put his finger on it for restoration, not for this elongated um, uh, punishment and, and chastisement that God is quite comically entertained you, you by. Know, you know what comes to my mind? It's uh, two things. Um, it's almost as if all along the way, God is slowly turning up the volume. Yes. And he's saying, do you hear me now? <laughs> do you hear me now? Yes. Can you hear me now? And you know, the storm gets greater and greater and greater and greater. And, 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 and obviously, Jonah's issue is not a hard of hearing. He's not hard of hearing. He just doesn't want to hear. Um, but you have this where God has journeyed with him along the way. I mean, God could, what gets me is I, if I were God, I would say, fine, get somebody else signs. I mean, there's probably a 
dozen other guys that would love to do what he called Jonah to do. So in, in one sense, it's like, okay, God, you haven't given up on this guy. God turns up the volume through the circumstances, through the people in his life, through the storms, through everything else. And even that, Jonah still is, and he's, he's, it's almost as if he's not giving up. And I'm thinking of the other text in, in, um, in Numbers about um, the prophet for hire, Balaam and Balak, that story, you know. And, <laughs> yes. and of course, you know, he's not supposed to go with them. And, and God says, okay, now you can go, you know. And, and, and uh, but along the way, it never was his intention for this prophet to go and curse Israel. It's always to bless Israel. And, and then, of course, the donkey scene where he's, you know, the donkey sees the angel. And, and of course, finally, you know, the donkey saves his life because he says, I see the angel. And, and anyway, the point is, God allows it, but he still doesn't, he doesn't stop speaking. Even though he's allowing it, it doesn't mean it's, it's, a, it's a permission or it's, uh, it's, a, um, it's a good thing that he's, he's allowing, but he doesn't approve of it yet. He still is speaking to Jonah in variable in every step of the way, and and Jonah will finally get it and finally cry out to God when it seems like it's gone too far or too late, you know, which we'll get into in chapter two. I'm just thinking of God's faithfulness and his persistent in even chasing down and staying with those who are rebellious and 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 those who most people would give up on, you know. Yeah, I think you've pointed out and placed your finger upon something that causes this particular prophetic book to be uh, unique mm-hmm. amongst all of the prophetic yes. books in the First Testament. And that is, this is not a book about the Word of God through the prophet. It is rather a book about God's dealings with the prophet. Or, restated, it is a book about the prophet. Right. Uh, this prophet is unique, and even though in Two Kings he seems to give a successful word to a wicked king, right. God has to basically undo that word through the prophet Amos. Amos. Yeah. So, so there is something that is a bit questionable about him. I, I want, I'm just to interject with that prophet that he gives to, was it Rehoboam or Jeroboam? One of the bones. I can't remember which one it was. <laughs> that was almost... Um, of, um, Jeroboam the second. Jeroboam, yeah. That was almost affirming to him. That was kind of like, yeah, God's on your side, you know. But Amos has to go and say, no. It's, <laughs> it's, yeah. It's almost like he's this not this prophet for hire, but this opportunistic prophet. Let's say um, in, in Jonah, it is, and yeah, as long as it goes his way, um, yeah, yeah, he's he's. He's as the young people would say. He's suspect. He's suspect. Right. right. You're you're kind of looking at him, going, I don't know. Yeah. If if I like the prophecy, God, I'll deliver it. But if I don't like it, I don't. You know, it's, yeah, it's he makes you a bit uneasy. Yeah. And and so as you're looking at this verse, I think it's also important to know that not only do you see divine action yeah. um, uh, taken against this prophet um, in chapter number one, this being that second major divine act of God to correct the prophet in chapter number one. But I think also the style of literature, right? The the genre. The genre. You, you have, uh, of course, which is a French word meaning kind or style, right? Yes. It, you have a few different styles within this narrative. So the larger style is narrative. narrative it's yeah. a story, right? But within this story, we have 
types of of literary devices used, such as irony and right. satire. Oh, irony is throughout the book. Oh, big time. And <laughs> and and I think what you see in chapter number one is first of all this this satiristic approach, where it's you have these other characters, right? Uh, the pagan sailors, right? That are seen and. Exactly what you would expect of them is not what you get, right. but exactly what you would expect of the prophet is also not what you get. And so it becomes almost a comical right. relief that's not so funny, right. so that it really does put the prophet in question again. Right. I mean, they're the ones who are, they're the ones who are recognizing God's, um, there's something going on, there's a rebelling, and they're the ones who say, well, cry out to God. You know, they're the ones who are praying. You don't see Jonah praying in chapter one at all. No, not at all. And and so what you see is when, when you're through kind of gasping and, and, and being caught off guard and then smiling a bit, you realize it's not that funny. And, and the yeah. point is, what's wrong with this guy? Right. Why isn't he listening? Why isn't he willing to adhere? Now, there's an entire bit of history that's behind that that we've right. discussed, right? And, and yet... He does not willingly become the tool or the instrument readily available in the hand of God. In, go on. And, and, and so when we get to this particular verse, what we see is we see that satire, but we also see irony. Um, you, you, see this, you see this aspect in which, well, I would expect God to have to chastise the, the pagans. pagans. Yeah. But instead, I feel sympathetic and empathetic for the pagans poor guys who got this disobedient prophet on their right. boat, they're being moved into this action that they're going to have to pray to Yahweh yeah. and say, please don't charge us with this guy's blood. I mean, and you, it's, it's just, it's odd. I mean, do you want, you, do you want to be the recipients, like say you're, you're the pagans and here comes this prophet of God and you know, oh, this is the prophet that God had to twist his arm to come. <laughs> do, you, right. do you want that guy delivering the news? It's it's ironic because even though Jonah's going to go through all this, we, we find out later on in um, in chapter four, really the crux of the matter, where he says he says um, he's he's angry later on, and he wants to die basically, and he says, "Listen, I fled to Tarshish because I knew that you were a gracious God. I knew you were gracious and compassionate and slow to anger and abundant love and con- loving kindness." And one who relents concerning calamity. Of course, he's quoting from Moses in, in, um, in, in Exodus or Deuteronomy. Here's this prophet of God who doesn't really like God, or he doesn't like the nature of God, and he's rebelling against that. He's having a hard time. He doesn't have this. He doesn't really know the heart of God. Well, a caveat, John. Yeah, a caveat. He doesn't like it until he needs it. Right. Okay. Until that's convenient for him. Right. So here, this that's in irony as well, where you have this prophet of God who's not really into the compassionate thing or the gracious thing, you know, but that's the nature of God and you're supposed to be the spokesperson of God, yet you don't like how God is. And so there's this this ironic thing. The other thing is ironic is, of course, you have a a runaway prophet who, who hears the word of God and runs the opposite way. And you have a faithful fish who hears the word of God and goes to his appointment and does what God tells him to do in swallowing Jonah. Yeah, within the Hebrew text, there's this deliberate concept that 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 uh, compares the two, right? Right. Um, and and it's almost laughable. How is uh, the prophet like or unlike a fish? Right. And so you would almost. Uh, uh, 
see kind of a stage where you had this person who would look dignified and is commissioned by God. And then you have this fish that comes uh, on the opposite side of the stage. And you're almost asking the question, uh, uh, bonus round, who's going to obey God? Right. And of course, everybody's going to say, well, that fish is wild and right. that fish would be unruly. But what you see is the fish is far more amicable and docile right. pertaining to the will of God than the prophet because what you see are two commissions in this narrative in chapter number one. Right. God has commissioned the prophet yep. and God will commission through divine appointment unto an end or a purpose the fish. Right. And God will in fact have the adherence of the fish, but he you know, will not have as yet the adherence of the prophet. You know what's pretty sad when a fish, a fish outdoes you in obedience to God. <laughs> and therein is the satire, <laughs> the irony, and and the laughability. Yeah. Because and, and and to work off of that, let's so let's let's play this out parabolically. Yeah, because that's the, a big word. Parabolically. <laughs> How do you say that? Parabolically. Per- <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> is there an equation for that word? <laughs> So, oh, a parable. So, okay. so as a, uh, let's analyze this analogy, shall we? Sure. And, and let's kind of do what Jesus did with those things. Because just where you laughed, I think that would also lead the audience to laugh, right? right. But let's stop after the laughter and ask, hmm, is there something in my life right. that is quick to obey God? And here I am, a believer. Yeah. And here I'm in my Bible and I'm in prayer and I attend church and it has God's ears. Right. But I don't have, or it has ears for God, but I don't have ears for God. Right. It's responsive, but I'm not. Right. I mean, in, in my life, what am I surrounded by or who am I surrounded by that is ironically and satiristically yeah. far more obedient than I am? Yeah. And that's laughable in a not so humorous way. You know, it's 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 not funny, but it is funny, but it's not but we're we are told by God to do a certain thing, like you just said, and we have to put conditions on it. Uh okay God, I'll go if this, that, and the other. I'll go on my terms, so to speak. I'll obey on my timing, my terms, you don't see the fish negotiating with God. Right. God, can I, can I, can I get somebody else? Can you get somebody else to do this? Because I don't like the taste of, of runaway prophets or something, you know? It's laughable. But it's but how serious. Many, but, but it's serious. If there's not one molecule or particle or whatever the smallest in this universe that is outside the control of God, if God in heaven tells an angel could do something and there's no hesitation that's done what does it say about about us sometimes when god directs us to do things and we like whoa no god yeah it begs the question of this term in scripture that does not just become a lexical term but it becomes a theological um bedrock shema Right. That the people of God are to be not people of the eye, but people of the ears. Right. And this concept of hearing is not the people of God take in information. Right. But the information that God gives, they are quick to adhere so as to obey it. Right. And by the way, 
This is the struggle of the people of God throughout the biblical narrative, whether you are in the First Testament, the Transitional Testaments, the Gospels, or the New Testament proper. And, and, and what I'm really wondering as the laser beam comes close concerning myself, how often is it that the God of the universe has to speak twice right. when everything else within the framework of creation, all he has to do is speak once to right. it. What's wrong with my heart right. that I'm not a ready hearer and adherent? And by the way, God help me to, to have an area in my soul that is a ready respondent to the voice of God. Because we're not just talking about anybody talking here. Right. We're talking about, when I speak to my children, I expect when we are in a crowd or when we are around anyone, for you to hear me like you hear none, none other. Yes. Right? Yep. I expect that that our relationship, I anticipate that our circumstances give me a 911 in your hearing right. that no other has. And yet, if I'm honest, if I'm grossly transparent, John, my God doesn't always have that response from me. Yeah. And you know, you just t touched upon a, a deeper issue is do we trust our God? Because the hesitation or do we... Um, do we trust him with the particulars of the future, let's say? He directs us to go this way. In Jonah's case, go to Tarshish. Go to Nineveh. Go to Nineveh, Nineveh right. rather. <laughs> Not to Tarshish. Go to Nineveh. He wished that he had said. And, and now Jonah takes the flight plan, so to speak, and takes his red pen and, and marks it up and says, no, 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 we're not doing this. And he sort of pushes God out of the captain's seat, so to speak, and says, no, I will dictate my life. It's this, and, and it's this disobedience, but it's also not a lack of, of trusting God that there's a, there's a, in the human heart, a, a desire to want to rule, want to be the God Absolutely. of your own life, of your own world. Autonomy. The autonomy. And that is what we struggle with, is the, um, Lord, you will not go to the cross, as Peter says to Jesus. Or I have a better way. I have a better way, as, as Satan tempts Jesus with, here, take these, this kingdom, if you bow down to me, you don't have to go to the cross. Um, the lack of trust, the, the idea of pushing God to the side and say, you know, I will be sovereign over my life. And here... It sort of looks like a wrestling match between God and Jonah, which, of course, it's not really because <laughs> you can't wrestle with God and win. But the, the depths of the sin of the human heart that would rebel against the God of all existence in trying to dictate to God how things will go rather than trusting him and obeying him. Yeah, this, this ceases to be a cute little story. It becomes a picture of a of a prophet's dark heart. Yeah, it, it becomes a picture of my dark, struggling heart. Oh man, it becomes it becomes this this internal X ray. Yeah, no, becomes an MRI. Let's a cat scan. Let's let's be real, dude. Let's be real. Okay, in my life, you know, you know me. We're friends. Yeah. Okay, and those of you listening to you can listen to conversation here. That's I can relate to Jonah, where God directs me to do something, and there's a huge hesitation. I tend to be the one that wants to analyze things to death. I want to 
make sure everything is taken care of. I want to, are there enough life preservers on this boat? Uh, are the, you know, do the seatbelts work? You know, the, I want to sort of be in control, you know, the people that don't like to fly because they don't know, they don't understand aerodynamics. And they, so they, they have this lack of control. They have this, this fear, this fear of the unknown. And part of it is fear of, of God doing something detrimental to my life of saying, God, I don't really trust you because it's my life. And I want to at least have some feeling of control. And so there's this hesitation and you, and you get, you dig your heels in and you, and you say, yes, but, and you, and you kind of, you know what I'm saying? And that's what I go through. I go through the same thing where it's, can I trust God with my future? Can I trust him to, to really, really, really be there when I need him to, to really, really, um, do what I hope he does, you know? And sometimes it's a matter in my own mind of thinking, here's what life ought to look like in my life, in John Core's future. Here's what it ought to look like. There's a fear that God may have a different script that he goes by. And there is this, okay, will I, will, I, will I let go of my own and trust him? Do I know him enough to be trustworthy? And that's the tension that I face is because, you know, it's, it's one thing where God tells you something, and you, and you know God, and you know God's ways. And you're like, yes, of course, Lord. But then when you're you're still, you're not certain, you're not sure, you're kind of, you know, you're hesitant because you don't know God as well as you, or maybe you just don't trust Him as, as, or maybe you don't like what He's telling you to. What He's because in Jonah's right situation, He blatantly right doesn't like what he's telling him right he loves his character um but his character becomes scandalous when displayed potentially to individuals that jonah has a different persuasion concerning right and and in this way again he gives us insight into the darkness of not only the human heart but potentially a believer's heart. Let me just touch upon something you just said, okay? Where where God sends Jonah to people he doesn't like, let's say, okay? Um, which the, the the Assyrians were horribly terrible, you know, uh, people. And at this point, you know, he, God is sending them a warning. Hey, re, you repent or I'm going to destroy you. In one sense, you have this where, where Jonah has to go and deliver this message that says, you know, repent, you know, and God's going to destroy you. Jonah has to, in one sense, become like God in the sense of being compassionate and merciful. You know, it's one, for, for a prophet to speak forth for God, there's, there's a participation in, in that realm of being like God in the sense of, being compassionate and, and saying, yeah, these people are going to die unless I say something. These, I, 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 I ought to care, just like, you know what I'm saying? There's an identification of, of the nature of God when he is supposed to carry on that role. So when, when, when you have this, there's a risk, I guess I'm trying to say, there's a risk where you do what God tells you to do. Um, if you're Jonah's case, you, you speak forth this, this warning because as God says, you ought to care for these people the way I care for these people, you know, or I, I want to at least warn them because I'm compassionate and gracious. 
there's a risk that, that Jonah takes, and there's a risk that you and I have to take in one sense of allowing the, allowing God to speak through us and allowing his, his character to be in us. So if Jonah goes, if, if, if God sends uh, Jonah to warn these people and he shows them compassion by doing that and shows them mercy, but says, you know, God's going to, he delivers the message of God, but he also has the heart of God too. Like there's, there shouldn't be a divorce of that. And there's a risk that happens when, when God may tell you to, to talk to somebody that you don't care for or pray for somebody that you don't like or, or, or show love to somebody that you're not really fond of, you know? There's a risk because you now enter into God's realm in sense. If I may restate that, Yeah, John, please, please do it, because the mouth you're of the God, master of restating it. <laughs> no, I'm not certain about that. The mouth of God is not, indeed, is never divorced from the heart of God. Right. Or, to say it in another way, the words of God are never distant from the compassion, so, the feelings of God. And this, that's my point, is, is you have other prophets who, who deliver God's word, but as they're delivering it, they also feel this, they also have this grip their heart, you know? You, you have, um, I mean, Isaiah, you have Jeremiah, you know, the weeping prophet, you know, where there's, there's this, this word of God to them, but there's also this, this, this thing that grips them that that is not just not just the words spoken but there's the word that grips his heart jonah doesn't have that there's a disconnect between what he says and the way his heart feels he'll deliver the message to the ninevites but his heart is contrary to that and that's sort of the 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 um the tension there where there isn't this yielding of, you know, just like the Ninevites are supposed to now yield and listen and obey God's word, in his own heart, he doesn't do that. And in fact, the story is going to end with us not knowing how does his heart is still at odds with God. And there's, there's this, I guess, as I'm seeing, you know, as I'm looking at Jonah, I'm realizing that's the a heart that the sin of the heart can do that. It can it can be like a black hole that wants to just absorb all the light or not really have the light, you know, be reflected. God has to do a seriously deep work in the man's heart to get him to realize, Jonah, you're just like the Ninevites. You need my mercy just as much as they do, you know? And that's where the corrective or disciplinary hand of God comes into play right. throughout this narrative. Right. And in chapter number one, it comes in the form of not only an appointment, but the appointment is on the back of the covenantal tenderness of God. I think it's not inconsequential when you are in scripture and you are doing biblical interpretation to take note of the names of God that right. are employed. Right. Because the names of God in a specific text, the names or name of God in a specific text, clues one into um, uh, certain things that the author is trying to indicate. In this particular text, by the time we, we, we veer into verse number 17, there's going to be a very drastic act of divine action that is very much like the drastic act in verse number 4. Namely, in verse 4, he hurls a wind, right? Right. And, and, and causes a storm. 
in verse 17, he's going to appoint or designate. Um, this concept is not he creates something that did not exist. Right. It is not that concept. Rather, he appoints something that is at his ready beckon in order to be an instrument or a tool whereby he may continue his disciplinary assault against the prophet in order to bring about divine or sovereign chastisement. However, this very drastic act comes from Yahweh yeah. or comes from the covenantal relational God. And I, and I think it's important to put these two things together in the equation that, that if you're not listening to God, he most certainly will bring about discipline or chastisement. It, don't take that in a wrong way, right? Hebrews instructs us that the only reason he bothers to chastise you is because he does love you, right? If he didn't love you, he wouldn't bother to chastise you. Right. What he would do, Psalm 73, is allow you to have a modicum of success success that really set you on a slippery slope so that you would never even see judgment coming. Right. But in this particular instance, when God bothers to say, your ears need to be carved out or cleaned out, right? Right. When he does that, he's doing that. And it may be frightening, the terror of a storm, it may be startling. It may be shocking, the shock of, of a fish. It, it, it may be painful. Right. Uh, it, it may take on the form of many things, but whatever form it takes on, it takes that form on, not undermining, nor cloaking, nor dismissing, nor hiding right. the covenantal God through whose loving hands it's delivered in order to bring about restoration. So verse 17, we've covered the first four words <laughs> in 40 minutes. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the stomach three days and three nights. He swallows Jonah. I'm, I'm thinking about if you're one of the pagan sailors on the boat and you've, you've kind of watched this or you're a bystander somewhere else and you have a, a way of looking from, from on top... Jonah goes into the water, and the text seems to indicate that he's in the water, and then he's swallowed. He's gone. And from a natural standpoint, you may conclude that, yes, God did judge him, that he's dead, that he's done with Jonah, and the story move on, you know, that, that there's no more hope for this Jonah, that, oh, poor guy, you know, he, he lost his... Uh, he he lost his uh, his uh, his battle there, and and uh, God God caught up to him and and won, and you know poor guy should have listened to God, you know, not knowing that behind the scenes or underneath the sea the sea so so to speak, God's still at work, and so sometimes you get the sense that in one sense, where you think that a person has gone far enough, and God has given up on that person, um, or that His work in a person's done. That, that that God can't use this person any longer, and and here, maybe Jonah is even hoping that his that he's hoping that perhaps okay, I'm gonna die now. You know, I've I've got my I've got what I wanted. I ran away from God, and I said, God, forget about you. And he's playing. He's he's he may get his wish because he's gonna be he's gonna be in the midst of dying in chapter two. But then God will step in. But you know, it's this tension of. 
Okay, and God allowing you to to get what you want. Yeah, when when you are in chapter number one, there is this term that's used, yarad, right? He goes down, he yes. goes down, and he yes. goes down. And this is not just a locative scenario or a or a positional scenario where he's in moving from one point to right. another point, right? right? Directionally downward. But it also becomes a telltale for his spiritual condition. Yes. The prophet is getting worse and worse. Yes. Right? And so you see that sense within the framework of the text. But God is becoming more intense. Right. Right? So so you see these two things within the narrative. Now, as you're going into the narrative, um, there is there is a topographical switch, right? A locational right. lay of the land switch. Right. He and, goes and from that is to be noted because he goes from land, which right. is which starts off peaceful on land. Goes down and, to Joppa. Right. And and every move now geographically is taking him into further chaos. That chaos being highlighted in the sea. And the sea and also sea monsters yeah. in ancient Near Eastern literature, Gilgamesh Epic, um, um, Atrahasis, Enuma Elish, etc., is representative of chaos that, in fact, even the gods of extra-biblical narratives had to wrestle with um, at at some great um, um, diff- with some great difficulty. Yeah. Not not Yahweh, right? But but in ancient Near Eastern extra-biblical literature, the foreign pagan gods had to do that, right? <laughs> but for at least our narrative, what we see here is we see. He's moving into an extreme chaotic um, uh, territory right. and abode. But it's not just that that should trouble us. When we're looking at this particular story, we're looking at his level of downward spiral yes. becoming more and more selfish. Right. And, and his selfishness for at least chapter number one. And, and of course, chapter number one and chapter number three right. would go together right. and they're going to yes. mirror one they're another, parallel. really. Yep. But but what we're going to see is this is not a man making a, a nice action here. This is a man who's trying to literally thwart the plan of God. Right. And his idea is, well, okay, I don't want to kill myself, so I'll make the pagans kind of do this so that they're going to have to say, Please don't charge us with innocent blood. Right. But then once he gets in the water, his his scary yet almost smirkish uh, attitude would be, I finally got God. Right. Right. I, I'm, I'm not going to have, if you're going to get this message delivered, you're going to have to go through someone else. It's 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 this venture right. to thwart right. and to undermine the plan of God. And and the and the question is, will he succeed? Right. And and then you just just tag on the end here is Jonah, you've you've wanted to get away from God. You've wanted to not deliver this message. You've wanted to get as far away from God and his message as possible. What if you actually get what you want? What if God sends the fish and you're dead? And what if you get to the point of being at the gates of Sheol, at the edge of death, and you go to a place where you're, it's, it's, you're gone forever? What if, you know, do you want to take that risk? Sometimes we, we think we, we know what we want from God in life. Do you, what happens if God gives you what you really want? Yeah, and what you're going to see scary. in chapter, it is frightening. It, it's, it's full of terror. Yes. Because what you're going to see in chapter number two is, you don't want what you think you want. Right. But I want to I want to go I want to I want to travel 
up from the depth exegetically to the surface of this text for a moment. Yeah. And here's where I want to find that. Because this is not just a text running from God, right? This is running away from God's commission, divine, ordained purpose, or ministry. Right. See, some people are not boarding a boat. Some people are boarding a, voca- a vocation. Right. Some people are trying to hide themselves in the years. Right. Right. They're saying, well, God called me in my 20s or in my 30s or, or he called me at this time. Surely I have done enough to thwart that plan. Right. Do you really think you're going to win that? Right. Remember, um, uh, God gets what he wants. Right. And and here's the second question that you were raising, John. Do you really want a life of running away from the divine commission? Mm. Do you really want to succeed at a life that says, I successfully disobeyed God? Can you imagine you're in heaven and you hold a sign, I'm the one who got... <laughs> <laughs> you're going to be by yourself going with- how how torturing yeah how horrible that every night i have to make sure that when i go to bed i do something to cloak the reverberating sound of my name in the mouth of god right in the biblical text it was a privilege to be called by god right i i know that in 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 today's society um, the preacher is seen lower than the car salesman used yeah. car salesman, right? Yeah. But you have to remember, even in the ancient Near East, it was a privilege, but it was also a burden. It wasn't popular. When you're standing up against false prophets and 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 popular voices, that can be troublesome. Right. And I think part of what we need to mention here is that there are those who don't like what God has called you to do. You can't hide behind a series of birthdays or or the concept of age, or the concept of let the youthful people do it, or right. or or I don't like the people God sent me to you, uh, to 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 uh, rather minister to. My statement to you is, there is no escape from the commission of God. You will be culpable and answerable, and and the the light facet is, He disciplines you during this lifetime. The, the heavy aspect is that you will arrive before his throne. And although you'll make it to heaven, he will not say, well done, my good and faithful servant. He will not be able to say to you, you've been faithful over a few things. Now I'll make you ruler over many. What a tragedy. What, what a dark, dark moment. Pray God that even though you're trying to escape, the hand of God might send something to collect you in order to push and forward you to obey God. Thank you again for listening to Living Truth with John Core and C.L. Mitchell. If you would like to hear this podcast again or previous episodes, you may do so at passionforhisword.com. That's passionforhisword.com. You may also like us on Facebook at Living Truth Radio Broadcast. That's Living Truth Radio Broadcast. Again, our prayer for you is that God would sanctify you in truth, for His Word is truth.